Good morning, everybody. You guys know that I like to seem to chat, so we're going to hit the ground running right away on this one here. You see the title up there, A Glimpse of Cephas in the Mirror. Now, to some of you, you might have a little bit of confusion about you as to what that means, but, but hopefully after the next two hours, we will have a better idea of what it is. I'm glad you laughed. You know it's a joke. It should only take me about an hour and a half to get through it. A glimpse of Cephas in the mirror. How many of you guys have seen something like this before? I know, on average, we're an older group here, so we may not be, be playing games like this, but maybe your, your son or daughter or your grandkid came up to you with this and said, Papa, Nana, Grandma, Grandpa, which Disney character are you? Who hasn't filled out something like this in the past? You know, you go online and you answer a few questions and it'll tell you which friend's character you relate to. Are you Chandler, Joey, Ross, Rachel, Monica, Phoebe? This is kind of along the lines of the same idea. It's something that, that's a little bit newer. In uh, my household, we are quite big Disney fans. So one day I came home and Ashley says to me, well, let's find out which Disney character you are. And so there's no questions to answer. It's just a screen that you hold up on your phone. And then this thing in the middle where it says, which Disney character are you? It flashes by a whole bunch of characters. So some of the ones you see on there uh, will show up, some of the old time ones as well. And so then it looks at your face and I guess it gives you something that you relate to, a character that, that you resemble in some way. So it's looking at me and I'm waiting for Maui to come on there or, or Prince Charming. And, and what pops up on the screen? Quasimodo. You've got to be one of the ugliest characters in Disney. So, I mean, those things are they're just a goof, right? You could do it a million times and, and get something different. But maybe sometimes I do relate to Quasimodo. But one of the great things that makes the Bible so special, and the list is long, is that the events and the people of the Bible are relatable to us. The things that happen in there, they're there so that we will learn, so that we can understand. And today, our main objectives for the lesson are this, that we can be encouraged by the events that are recorded in Scripture. And after all, that's why we read the book, right? To learn, to just relate to the people and the things that happen there and to be encouraged by it. But also, we want to see that our example that we set in the world is important. It's through our behavior that we glorify God. So we want to keep these things in mind as we go through the lesson today. And for the example today, where it's going to be mostly about Peter. It's nice that Dale mentioned that verse there, because I was part of that Thursday Bible study. Um, and so it's nice that, that we've already thought about it a little bit. But we'll be looking at Peter's life and how we can gain encouragement through it and, and just the example he set. So let's meet Peter. You see him here. He also goes by the name Simon or Cephas. Cephas is just the, the Aramaic name um, of Simon and then the Greek translated that into Petros, and that is where we get Peter. And so in John 1.42, when Peter first encounters Jesus through his brother Andrew, uh, he says, this is the name you're going to be given, the name Cephas. Peter grew up in the village of Bethsaida, and you see that there on the map. That's kind of north of the Sea of Galilee, and that was perfect. Having that large body of water right by Peter, beautiful for him. What do you think his job was? If you haven't guessed from the picture of him holding a net with some fish in it, Peter was a fisherman. Some other things we know about Peter is that he's married. We know that Jesus comes to heal his mother-in-law. So if we're doing the math, we can assume that he was married. 
And why wouldn't Peter be married? Look at him in that picture there. Arms all bronzed up, strong. Good tan on him from working outside all the time. That's probably one of the best pictures you could find of him, whether that's what he looked like or not, who knows. But what Peter would tell you was that his proudest profession was being one of the 12 disciples. Sorry, And so Jesus gave Peter an important role to play in the church, as he did with all the apostles. And so Peter would be no doubt quite proud of that position. We see in the next picture here, this clicker's not working that great for me, but here we go. We see a beautiful landscape here. We see on the one side the hills and the other side down into the valley. Now can you feel the kind of direction I'm going to go with this? In our Christian walk, we have ups and downs. We have hills and valleys. And so today, see if we can be in Peter's shoes as we follow his journey, as we follow his hills and valleys, and see how closely we can relate to him. We start with the hill. The most important thing to begin with when Peter started following Christ is that Peter recognized who he was, he himself. It says here in Luke, after Jesus had told them to cast the net into the water, and that, no surprise, the nets come up full, it says, and they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter recognized that he was a sinner. And is it not important that we all recognize the same in ourselves at some point? Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if we want to use the whole fishing and boat metaphor, we are all in the same boat and sin is causing us to sink. But it's important that at some point, and it's usually the beginning of when we come to Christ, we recognize this, that anything that we do on our own won't have that longevity. Secondly, Peter followed Jesus. As we mentioned before, when Peter uh, was turned from Simon to Cephas, he kind of met Jesus a little bit, and, and before this happened in Luke, he was able to listen to Jesus teach, but Peter followed Jesus. The passage says in Mark chapter 1, 16 and 17, As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. We'll look at it in a little bit and see that Peter seems to be kind of impulsive. And, and sometimes when we think of impulsive, we, we attach that to the negative. But Peter was impulsive in the good sense here. Think of what he left and his brother left behind. They left behind their livelihood. They left behind their nets. That is how they made their living. I think there's some example there of, of leaving behind the old and carrying on with the new. As we are called to do, to leave behind our old self and to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And the reason that Peter followed Jesus was because he knew and he recognized who Jesus was. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, Whom do the people say that I am? Well, and they replied to him, and they say, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say one of the prophets. And he asked, Well, who do you say that I am? Of course, it's Peter that pops up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah, 
the Holy One, the Anointed One, the One to come. You're the one we need. Do we not come to that realization in our own lives that once we realize that we're sinners in ourselves, we look to Jesus. And the reason we look to Jesus and the reason we follow Jesus is because we realize that He is the one, the only one, who can fulfill this void, who can conquer sin that we all have in our lives. Of course, I enjoy Peter because, I mean, he's, he's human. He's also quite humorous. Let's look at some of the human antics of Peter here. He was impulsive and quick to act. In Mark 8.32, Jesus has just finished stating to the disciples that, that he's going to have to die. He's going to have to go to Jerusalem, be handed over, and be killed. And Peter, Peter can't take this. So, you know, he goes to, to grab Jesus and he says, No, surely not you. It says, Jesus was stating the matter plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And after that, Jesus lets him know, You know, Peter, you're just not thinking fully here. You're thinking more in the ways of man than in the ways of God. Again, Peter quick to act. We see that in John chapter 13, where Jesus is about to wash Peter's feet. And Peter says to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you will have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. See, Peter thought this job was, was below Jesus. But when Jesus explained a little bit further to him, he realizes, oh, this is necessary. So Peter is kind of funny as he has, just says, no, not just my feet, but make sure you get my, my head in there as well and my hands, you know, douse me completely. He's good-natured, Peter. His intentions, I believe, were always good. The same as we see in the Garden of Gethsemane before Christ was turned over to the high priest and to Pilate. When the Roman cohort is coming in on, on just these few guys that are praying there and waiting, Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it back and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. Here we have Peter, brave and bold, as, as those are some of the attributes that are usually attached to him. But we see that he's willing to, to kind of fight an army here for Jesus. But we realize that that is not what, what Jesus wanted there either. Have you guys seen that, that we can all relate to Peter in some way yet? Whether at the beginning of our Christian journey or at a time when we're just being impulsive and, and quick to act. Do sometimes our mouth get going a little faster than our head and we say something that, that we regret? Say something that we don't mean and hurt those around us? Surely we do. I'm going to tell a story here. It's not necessarily a super negative one, but it is a bit embarrassing. I usually like to tell those. It's about myself, though. So, in high school, we were playing. I'm on a hockey team, and uh, for provincials, what we want to do is something different. A lot of times, hockey teams will dye their hair blonde and stuff like that, just to kind of, you know, for a special, a special time, a special tournament. And so we're like, you know what? We've done that in the past. Let's do something different. Let's shave our heads bald. And so we kind of laughed at that idea. That's being pretty extreme, you know, to dye your hair is one thing, but to, to, to go right down to the wood there, that's uh, another. But much thought, I guess, was not given, because later that day I remember sitting in my basement and, and a man who had a bald head was shaving my head bald, thicking it bald there. 
So I, I, yeah, I'm glad for you folks that are listening on the audio that you don't really have to see the picture that I got on the board now. It's not a good one of me. But that's how I looked. And so I had not much thought of it. It was an impulsive decision. And it was cool for like the two days when the team was all shaved up like that. But then after that, I had to go to school. And you can't always wear hats in class. And you just see I don't pull it off well. You know, we have guys here like Bill and Wayne, like flawless. That, was meant, that look was meant for you guys, I think. I don't think it was meant for me. But sadly, sometimes as, as when we, we sin, we don't learn from it. And, and I didn't learn from it. One day after work, Ashley and I were, were married and living in our, our, the place where we live now. And, and I went, went across the street from my office to a hair salon. And my hair was longer. And I said, you know what I want? I want it nice and, and short on the sides. Like, number one it. Leave it long on top and pull it right back. It's like a mohawk that's slicked back. It looked pretty cool. And so I'm walking home like this, strutting home, and everyone can see it. And I'm walking, and I see Ashley's vehicle pull up alongside me. And I'm thinking, hey, right on. We're going to get a ride. So she slows down because she realizes it's me. She doesn't even roll down her window. She just looks and then keeps driving. (laughs) After a brief discussion at home, I, in fact, determined that it was not cool. And since then, I have never once set foot into a salon. Ashley has cut my hair. So it's a bit of a humorous story, but it, it shows the, the impulsiveness of, of humans. And there's a lot of times where, where, like I said, being impulsive and quick to act, we don't think, we make mistakes. Um, and that was one of them. Now, I can't just leave you with that lasting image of me there. So very quickly, I'll show you what real, real hair looks like. And that's it right there. That's actually my old passport picture. <laughs> but just so you know that I don't, I don't want you to think of me as that way always. All right, so we've started with the hill in Peter's life. We've looked at it and realized that, yes, he's human. Now we're going to get into into the valley. If you haven't been able to relate to Peter yet, I'm thinking we might be able to at this point here. What are some of the things that that Peter struggled with? Well, Peter had doubts, and he lacked faith at times. Who's in that boat? In Matthew 14, they're out on the Sea of Galilee, and Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. How often do, when things are going good for us, it seems very easy to have faith. But but when the wind comes up, because it sounds like Peter was actually walking. It's not like he got out of the boat and started sinking. It sounds like he was successfully making his way towards Jesus. But then the wind came up. Then the storms of life that we deal with come up. And we take our eyes, I guess, off Jesus. And that's when we begin to sink, isn't it? I can relate to to Peter right there. Peter also felt and succumbed to peer pressure. In Galatians, Paul writes, For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof fearing the party of the circumcision. So Peter, he's a Jew himself. At this point, after Acts 10 and and the dealings with Cornelius, he realizes, okay, this promise, this promise is meant for the Gentiles as well. And so for a time, I guess he was all good with that. But when the two worlds kind of met, it seemed, when his old Jewish boys started rolling in, he he was having a hard time. He was 
probably maybe wondering what, what they would think. And, and, and because there was that, that split kind of between the Jews and the Gentiles and, and what needs to be done and what doesn't, do we sometimes do the same thing when we do something that we know God maybe wouldn't approve of or want us to do, but we maybe value people around us' opinion of us too much? Surely we can be all guilty of that. What else did Peter do? Here's the big one. We know this one of Peter. We know that Peter denied Jesus. The text in Luke says, And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Now, the denial is the big one. Like I said, it's mentioned in all four Gospels. I wonder if Peter was like, come on, guys, could you just maybe mark it down in one? It's not a very proud moment of mine. But it is a great learning moment for all of us. It is a great relatable moment for all of us. We see in the passage here right before it kind of happens in Luke 22, 31 to 34. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now, what does that mean? We have a lot of a lot of agricultural folk in the building here. We have some anyways. And now I don't believe we sift wheat in the same exact way that they would have done it then, but that idea of sifting wheat is taking the chaff, throwing that away, and keeping the, the, the valuable grains, the edible grains on one side. Another translation says that Satan obtained by asking permission to do this. So he doesn't only want to shake Peter, he wants to shake you, plural, the apostles, and by extension, does Satan not want to shake all of us here? Everyone who has faith, does Satan not want to rattle you around and, and separate you from your beliefs, separate you from Jesus? Surely he does. Peter warns us uh, in his first letter, Peter 5, 8, that Satan and the devil is a, is a roaring lion, prowling around, looking to devour, always hungry. Peter as we've looked at, he was a bold and brave guy. You know, he's, he says here, as we continue on a little more, he says, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. I'm ready to go to the end with you. And then we have the verse we looked at already. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. There's a spot that I didn't read in here, and that... I've read over it probably a few times in reading this passage, but this last time I, I zeroed in on it, and I thought it was, uh, was really quite intriguing. And that's this spot right here. I think my remote might have maybe died on me. I might have to borrow the spare one, Javen, if you got it. Brief intermission. It still seems to be asleep. I'm not exactly sure what. Uh... Oh, wow. See, I've been up here so long. There we go. Maybe that works now. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, I've been up here so long, the computer stopped. <laughs> Anyways, resume. This verse here. 
where it says, I'm just going to start from the beginning, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I find this to be, to be a statement that is so easily glossed over, and who knows, maybe Peter at this, this time didn't even hear it, but it's almost to me like, like Jesus is giving Peter a little glimpse into the future, that, you know, once you have turned again. Because we know that, as John 21 tells us, there is redemption for Peter, and we're about to see that. But once you have failed and once you come back, my plan for you, I want you to strengthen your brothers. Just a very interesting little, small little sentence there that I think sometimes we can gloss over. To the denial itself, we see there that Peter said, you know, I'm going to follow you to prison, I'm going to follow you to death. In Mark it says that the rest of the disciples were saying the same thing. They were insisting, just like Peter, that they would not deny Jesus. But, what do we see? We see that Jesus references Zechariah 13, where he says, The shepherd will be struck down and the sheep will scatter. We're not surprised that that is exactly what happens. But Peter, for a moment, we're not sure exactly where the other apostles go or disciples go, but Peter, for a moment, at least seems that he's going to uphold his, his promise. We see him following along with John, and he gets all the way so far to being outside the high priest's house in the courtyard. And we pick up in Luke 22, reading, Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat down at the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, another man saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I don't think that there's any words that Jesus could have said or gesture he could have made that would have been so heartbreaking for Peter than just to have the Lord look at him. Sometimes when we fail somebody, I think we'd rather have them yell at us or come and push us or something, at least to kind of get that frustration out. But it seems to hurt more, doesn't it, when we let someone down and we just see a look of disappointment on their face. It's no surprise that, that Peter went out and wept bitterly here. Now, now this moment here, if, if, if that was the last thing we heard of Peter, it would, would be pretty discouraging, wouldn't it? That, that Peter failed and then never got back in the, in the pages of the New Testament. We know that's not true, though, and we know that for us, our story doesn't end either when we sin for the hundredth time, the thousandth time. Not that we are, are wanting to do that so that grace may abound, but God always has a plan for us, always wants to redeem us. And we see the sweet redemption. In John 21, it says, Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, 
It is the Lord. So now they're out on the water fishing. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging a net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it, and bread. I wonder what the rest of the, the disciples thought when Peter just abandoned them to jump to shore while they're dragging this net full of fish. But that, it's so fitting with, with what we know of Peter, how eager he was. And how eager do you think he would be, again, to, to see the Lord? I mean, he'd, he'd seen him a few times already after his resurre resurrection at this point, but especially having experienced what he did, the failure that Peter had. We see some great par uh, parallelism here, I think. And let's not look too deep into it, but, but take it for what it is, that if we look back and we are looking at John's example, in the Gospel of John, John 18, 18, we see this verse here, and it says, Now the slaves and the officers were standing there. Now, now we're back into the, into the courtyard here when, Jesus is, uh, when Peter denies Jesus. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. Now we see the words charcoal is on the screen twice. Charcoal, sorry. And they're bolded both times. Now, like I said, it's not maybe something else that is, is it's just a more of an interesting little fact that these are the only two times in the New Testament that we see this word charcoal is described with a fire. And it's interesting that at both times, one of them is when Peter denied Jesus, and the other time when it's just about to be when Jesus reaffirms Peter. Just an interesting little point there. As we continue on, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he heard him say it the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Now there's a lot in this verse, and for the sake of time, we're not going to go that deeply into it here, but we kind of lose a little bit in the English language, where we see the word love a whole bunch here. But in the Greek, there, there are four to five different kinds of love. There's agape love, phileo love, Eros love, storge love, there's a bunch of different ones. And so we kind of lose that in this passage when we just see love and, and we kind of as, as all-encompassing in the English. Like I said, we're not going to look at it that much, but the first two times when Jesus asks Peter, he asks him if he agape loves him. Agape love, the highest form of love, the noblest form of love, the love of God for mankind. And Peter, each time, each three times he responds is, is with phileo love, and that you might recognize his brother they love, Philadelphia the city of brotherly love. Just an interesting little point, something that, that we could maybe take a, a closer look at in, in a classroom as, as to why the different versions. But I just wanted to make it known. The, fact, the, the point that we really want to, to grasp from this is that Jesus had a plan for Peter. He's telling him to, to tend and to feed his sheep, to shepherd his sheep. In the same way, Jesus and God have a plan for all of us. 
our talents and our strengths and our gifts are not all the same. And even though we fail, God wants to redeem us each time. He has a plan for your life. So we've been looking at, at examples here and, and we see some of the things that we can learn from Peter's life summarized. We can appreciate the fact that, that we are all human, therefore all sinful. But because of Jesus, because of what we remember at the table, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. To die to sin, to be done with that, to leave it behind like Peter left his fishing equipment, like we leave our old lives, to throw it aside like the chaff and to start living in a new direction, the direction of righteousness. Where it says that by his wounds you were healed. For us to be healed means we are at one point sick. And certainly, whether we like it or not, that is all the case. We learn through Peter, and, and all these quotes here are going to be from the first, uh, Peter's first epistle. But we learn that we might have to suffer at times. Peter says, For it is better, if God should will it, so that you may suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. He also says that anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but it is to glorify God in his name. It's hard to think of these things when we're in the midst of suffering. It is, admittedly so. But if we can study scripture, to be encouraged by it, hopefully we can remember that it can be done to glorify God. And hopefully that can pull us through. We can remember that God has grace and a plan for us, that God hasn't forgotten us. Peter says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is what God wants to do for you. He wants to strengthen you, to confirm you, establish you, perfect you. Why? Because he called you to his eternal glory through Christ. And his grace is sufficient enough to do that. We're just working backwards through this verse here. Still, it says you may have suffered a little while in it. It doesn't mean God is done with you. We learn from Peter that faith is precious. He says that so the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When, when gold is rid of its impurities, it's heated up, it's tested by fire. Think of that. A test isn't always necessarily a punishment from God, but maybe a discipline. And it's done so that you will come out of it better than you were before. Gold was valuable back then. Gold is still valuable today. Peter's saying that faith eclipses gold and is the most valuable. Peter wants our growth to be encouraged. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander, this is the old stuff we want to throw away. We're done with that now. He says, get rid of those things. And like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. We're blessed to be able to have the word here. We should long for that. So that may we may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And there's no sweeter kindness out there than that. 
Of course, Jesus has mentioned this a few times, that he wants us always to be ready. Peter's echoing that thought. He says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Peter wasn't ready in the courtyard when the people questioned him. He may have had all the good intents, but, but he still failed. When we get in those situations, it's important that we remember whose we are as fellow heirs. And that is something to be excited about, something that we can definitely hope in. In Peter's first letter, as throughout the Bible, we see that love and service is a major theme. And we have a whole lot just in these four verses here. 1 Peter 4, 7-11. The end of all things is near, therefore. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We know that love is important. That is not something that, that is earth-shattering. No one has fallen out of their, their seat at that statement. And I think maybe it's, it's in the Bible so much that, that, that we just ingrain it in ourselves, that, that it just absorbs into us, that we learn it. We see that service, that God had a plan for Peter, that in the church, Peter was, was going to be a big part of the new church in Acts there. He wanted him to strengthen the brothers, to serve. God wants us in the same way to be of service. There's a verse in here that I didn't highlight, but it's a good idea for, for maybe a next sermon, that as each one has received a special gift, employ it. I mentioned before that our talents are not all the same, that, that you can bet that God has equipped you with some way to glorify him, some way to be that great example. So we've seen through Peter's life here a great example. We, have, we could have picked a lot of other characters from the Bible, and we would see that they that they all have their strengths and they all have their failures, but we can learn from all of them. We see that after, after John 21, when Peter was reaffirmed, that, that he wasn't just perfect after that. We think to, to Galatians there, when peer pressure and Peter caved, that was after the fact. Peter still had his sins, as do we. We'll leave here and, and we will sin again. But it doesn't mean we lose sight of our hope. And it doesn't mean God loses sight of us either. It's hard to confirm for certain, but John 21, the, the passages that after uh, when Jesus uh, told Peter to tend his lambs. But in John 21 there, and historians seem to indicate that Peter was, was killed maybe by crucifixion. And that maybe he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be put to death in the same manner as his Lord. Now at this time, the time when Peter had been put to death, it was during the reign of, of Nero in Rome, I believe, and a lot of Christians were being persecuted. A lot of people were being asked, hey, deny you're, deny you're a Christian and we'll let you go. 
So there's evidence from historians that we have that a lot of people gave up their faith just to save their lives. We don't have this recorded and we don't know for sure. Did Peter have an opportunity to deny Jesus again? Before he was killed, was he asked to renounce his faith? We don't know if that opportunity was given to him. But I think we can safely say the answer to that is that P Peter did not deny Jesus again. And he went to the grave and to meet his Savior. So we've seen through Peter's life that whether it is through struggle or triumph, and in our own lives, God is always there with us, ready to redeem us and ready to use us to further his kingdom. As I look into this room, there's lots of encouragement. I haven't known a lot of you folks that long, less than five years, but I've been encouraged by many of you here, and that is your example. You may not think your example matters much, but it does. Your example isn't always a vocal thing. It's just how you conduct yourself, the standard you hold yourselves to. And that can be the biggest testament we make to glorify God. Our behavior glorifies God and furthers his kingdom. We began with Peter. We were stuck in the middle with Peter, so we might as well end with Peter here. Get a little encouragement from a passage in 1 Peter 1, 13-16, where it says... Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy.